Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting, answering the big questions in film. Andy Gillard here, hope everyone is doing well. Matt Guy here, how are we all doing today? And Stu here as always, hope you're all well. So, it's question cast six, or should that be question cast with a twist? Probably not, because that is a fucking terrible name. <laughs> but this is going to be a twist on the normal episode this week. But we'll get into that shortly. Stu, how are you this evening? Not as hot as last time. It's 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 cooled. I did think it was going to turn into an inferno again this afternoon when the uh, sun came out and boiling the room up. But it's, uh, I think having the window open kind of helped. It's cooled itself down. And we've got a blood orange and blackcurrant Alska cider from uh, Al which is quite enjoyable so all good here lovely and Matt yourself you had a good day mate yeah yeah not bad mate looking forward to um, thrashing out some big questions as always tonight and um, I'm sadly not as adventurous as Stu I'm down in just uh, H2O today oh yeah I'm sticking to the squash this evening because uh, I am absolutely baking hot and I will just dehydrate otherwise so just just the squash for me uh, so first off, just quickly get the business out of the way. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so you can pick us up every week. We tell you every time, so make sure you do it. Uh, give us a five-star review. Look, we, we don't ask for any money. We're not on Patreon. But if you could just give us 30 seconds of your time to just drop us a quick review, it really does help us in the grand scheme of things. And finally, make sure you've got us on Twitter. We're at CageFightingPod. And you can email us with any questions you've got or if you want to take us to task on any decisions that we've uh, we've made in any of the answers to the questions, it's cagefightingpod at gmail.com. And on that theme, Matt, I think we've had some uh, some contact with some questions. Is that right? We have. We've had a few. Um, and talking about taking us to task, this might be one of those scenarios because we've got a very strong very strong question from uh, Tom, friend of the show. First of all, he wants to know, well, it's more of a statement, really. He needs help. He needs, he's, he's asked for our help and we're here to give him support. He wants to see how anybody can remotely tolerate The Last Jedi. He needs to understand how this can happen. So, could someone help Tom? <laughs> I, I honestly don't understand the hatred this film gets. For me, it's probably, it, well, it's definitely the best of the new trilogy. I would say it's better than probably A New Hope and <laughs> uh, Return of the Jedi, if I'm perfectly honest. I think it's probably second only to Empire in the grand scheme of the, the nine main films. Good it's agree. a... <laughs> you don't agree? <laughs> like, don't uh, get me wrong. Please continue, mate. Don't get me wrong. You can take that scene in the casino out because that is a terrible, terrible scene. But if you can tell me a Star Wars film which doesn't have a bad scene in, you know, you're a better man than me because every one of them does have issues. A lot of the problems people seem to have with The Last Jedi for me is around uh, the characterisation, especially with Luke Skywalker. But if you look at Luke Skywalker from Empire Strikes Back, he's just this snot-nosed little teen who needs to be taught a lesson by Yoda in order to, to grow and become the man he's meant to be. And that's exactly what happens in this film. He's just the, he's not a teenager now. He's just this grumpy old shit who's decided to give up on the world because the Jedis are, for once for a better world, they've become nothing in the grand scheme of things. And it takes Yoda to point out to him that 
he needs to help Ray. So actually there are parallels with Empire. But a lot of people, they seem to have this thing where they want nostalgia. So they go with uh, the two JJ films, which, I mean, they're fun, but they're utterly disposable. They're films that if I watch them once just as part of a rewatch of the whole series, that's probably all I'll do. Whereas I could go out of my way to watch The Last Jedi again. I think it's such a good film. It's well made. It's well written. It's well shot. It's everything I want in a film. And Stewie's shaking his head at me. So I'm guessing he disagrees. <laughs> the thing, the worrying thing is that you just you believe everything you've just said. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, well, so I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. I, I was confused when I when I watched it the first time, and it took a second watching for. The, I think Mark was absolutely raging when we walked out that cinema. He's like, "What the fuck?" And um, I watch it again, and I thought, okay, fine. But I think it was to being too, it was too, it changed too much, and it was too adventurous, what, what people wanted. Like Force Awakens is a retread of New Hope. We all know that anyway, but it's a really good film. It's fun. You've got new characters, old characters. That's what people wanted, and the ch- he, he tried too much in too short a time, and then to have it all retconned again later on to fix the things that they kind of cocked up. It's like the the uh, bastard stepchild of the uh, of the the new trilogy, and probably a bit unfair because the the third, well, the last film definitely has issues as well. But it's definitely for me, it's definitely the weakest and of the three in in terms of enjoyment for me anyway. I, I don't hate it anymore. I just don't like it as much as seven and nine. I, I, for me, I don't want nostalgia. I want a good story that is going to go somewhere. And at the la- end of The Last Jedi, the deck was cleared. That story could have gone absolutely anywhere. And then they came back with Rise of Skywalker, which was just trying to undo everything they'd previously set. And it was a, just a mess of a film then, I thought. But I'm sure we could debate this all night. <laughs> Why is, it, why is Matt not saying anything about it though? This is the I know, yeah, thing. that's what I'm worried about. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm the, um, I'm the moderator of this debate. When it comes to asking the questions, I have no opinion. But when we're talking about they could have done anything with it, for me, it felt like they played a Star Wars version of... Uh, what's the name of the game? What's that game, the really offensive game where you put all your cards down, the blue and... Um, Card, cards Against Humanity. They basically got, they've got a Star Wars, what plot they could have. They've just picked random cards and thrown it down. It seems like it's all a bit mishmashed together. And Snoke, if we're talking about bad villains oh, you know, or, or bad characters in Ghost Rider, and we, you know, it's, I, I, maybe I just don't know enough about the canon of um, Star Wars, but is he ever a threat to anything, Snoke? He's just, a ring, he's, he's just Mr. Burns in Star Wars form. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't do anything. That, that's ultimately, I believe that was why they got rid of him in The Last Jedi, because mm. he, he's not really that interested in the character. You kill him off and you just open the world up. But then to bring it back in with the way they did in the third film was just, mm. it was dull. It was shit. And it, it pissed over all the good work that Ryan Johnson did for me. Fair enough. Horses for courses. Horses for courses. Um, so we've got another question from... Um... We're going to skip. So Tom sent two questions in, but in, in keeping with what this episode's about, we're going to do that one last. So Paul Guest uh, wants to know what film 
you may have watched first time around and thought it was poor or didn't like it, then go on to give it another go at a later time and absolutely loved it. His is a film that when he first saw it, thought it was slow and boring, but after seeing it quite a few times since, it's probably one of his favourite films of all time, which is The Thin Red Line. So, film you've watched the first time around, thought it was pretty cack. You come to come to like it in later life. You maybe maybe five ten years later you've explored it and come to enjoy it. Uh, Stu, you go first, mate. I mentioned this last week, but Blade Runner. I was um, the same as everyone, all the critics at the time when the first time. I, mean, I must have watched it when I was probably. That's probably why I didn't like it because I watched it too young, and I watched. I must have seen it when I was about I don't know eleven, twelve, something like that. And just thought, well, this is slow bollocks. <laughs> and then watched it in my twenties and got it. And now I absolutely, I've watched probably all five different versions of that original <laughs> film. And yeah, it's just one of one of my favourite films of all time now. So nice and nice and easy. It would be Blade Runner for me. How old were you when you watched it the first time? Would you say? I was a kid. I was. I was. When did it come out? Eighty three, eighty four, something like that. So it would have been when it was on telly. So I'm guessing I'm guessing in primary school, so ten, eleven, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you you're watching a film that's on the face of it just a sci-fi thing, but there's some deep shit in that film that's yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you ne- yeah. you'd never pick up until later on. Andy, what about you, mate? Uh, there's two that spring to my mind. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. I really didn't enjoy it when I saw it in the cinema. Okay. Um, I think what happened. I know we went to the cinema. There's a group of us from school. I think I'd have been about. 10 or 11 years old and for some reason there weren't enough seats so the three of us had to sit separately and it it kind of ruined the experience but then when i've seen it back in later life it's a very good fun film so i think it might just have been watching a film on my a comedy especially on my own didn't quite Mm. work for me and the other film which i'm quite ashamed to admit now is jackie brown oh okay I just remember being really bored the first time I saw it, but then seeing it now I'm a bit older and can understand the, the complexities thing. a bit more. It's it's an outstanding film. And it's got Robert De Niro in for crying out loud. You're like, <laughs> there aren't many Robert De Niro films that I can badmouth because he's the goat of actors for me. So yeah, those are the first two that come to my mind. I think Jackie Brown gets gets shit on a bit because it what what it followed. Um yeah. and it wasn't it was nothing like them two. So I'm probably in the same. I mean, I, I remember loving that film. Um, just, just outright loving it, and I, I seem to be in the minority. So you can, at that age, you just keep stumbling. You don't want the confrontation. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I think that's fully understandable. Mm. What about yourself, Matt? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I never disliked it, but I, I never really, when I was younger, understood the attraction to Reservoir Dogs. Because mm. I didn't really appreciate how good the dialogue was between characters, and yeah. I was, you know, I, I wanted a bit more bang bang. And I know there is a lot of bang bang in it at the end, but you know, for the majority of the film, it's just based on really well put together conversation. But I didn't really appreciate that at the time. Um, whereas now, you know, I absolutely love it. I, I watch it, and I mean, I'm, I'm fixated by the conversations and the nuances of the characters talking to each other. Um, but I'd say one that really stuck sticks out for me would be Rain Man. Mm. Um, because when I was when I was younger, when I first watched it, I mean, I, I must have been, I couldn't have been much older than kind of ten, eleven when I watched Rain Man for the first time. Um, and for me, I just didn't really understand it. Like I had no idea about mental health or or, or, or people that are um, that are mentally challenged or anything like that. 
Um, so I didn't understand what this character, what he was afflicted with. Like it just meant nothing to me. It just, it, it just seemed almost like a buddy cop film without the crime, if you will. Because I just didn't mm. understand it. But watching it now, you know, it's really heartwarming. It gets me right in the feels as well. Um, watching the relationship between the resentful brother who ends up, you know, absolutely loving his, um, his his little brother who he he looked after, and it's it's a really really bittersweet film now mm. I, I appreciate it a lot better but at the time I, it just didn't do a lot for me but i'm really glad i gave it the time to you know to watch it again because i really enjoy watching it now you know what there's another one as well that just thinking about that the great escape hmm. the, fir- the first time i watched the great yeah. escape I, I thought nothing of it at all i thought what is this <laughs> obviously i think granddad was probably watching it so that's why it was on i thought what is this nonsense it's old it's got old music and mm-hmm. The things are just not that great and it did take till I was older to appreciate it so I think that's probably the, the main thing of this question really that some films you need to watch at the right time yeah absolutely definitely I'd say so um, and so the final question that we'll pick up today is um, from Tom again but it kind of leads on nicely to what we're going to talk about in this podcast but he wants to know your favourite superhero film not based on a comic so is there any superhero films that, um, I mean, it's hard, a hard time thinking about your favourite, let alone thinking of one, to be honest, but Andy, you're probably a bit better, well, well suited to this than me. So is there any, your favourite superhero film that isn't based on a comic? I really like The Incredibles. I think <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful film. It's so well written. Mm-hmm. You just watch it with a smile on your face the whole way through. It does genuinely get you going, like when they're going onto the island at the end to, to rescue the, the... I can't remember the character's name now. So Mr. Incredible, obviously, when he gets kidnapped and then his kids try and free him at the end and they're running around the island speeding. And it's, it's so exciting and it's it's just excellent. It's exactly what you want in a superhero film. Mm-hmm. Stu, I'm guessing that was your kind of your pick as well. What, what, what about that film do you enjoy and what about it translates to you as a grown man? but that kids will enjoy as well. <laughs> it's got everything that it's, it's Pixar. It's superheroes. It's a bit of camp. Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> there's, there, there is all, there is something for everyone. You've got kids. There's a, a boy and a girl. So you've got the both kids angle. You've got, it's just, it ticks absolutely every box. And That's the sequel, great. the sequel isn't bad either. No, the sequel's fun. It's not as good, but it is a fun film still. Yeah. It just, it's got, I mean, it's, go on, sorry, I think it just it really works because it's not based on anything, so there's no shackles to it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's why you, and it's a it's a like a, a light hearted parody of a lot of things in a way as well, with the suits and there's a few jabs at the colourfulness and stuff like that. <laughs> so there's in, in jokes for us nerds and stuff like that, but for everyone else it's just a, a colourful Pixar film. Which is just everyone loves that so yeah absolutely you know i think one of the common themes of a lot of pixar films is that there are this slightly adult risky jokes that are of no risk to children but gives the adults that little smirk as well that makes wipes away the guilt of probably enjoying a kid's film <laughs> like when they're grown adults perhaps with no children even present with them but um no appreciate the questions guys keep firing in um on the twitter or via uh, email really like to read those ones out and um catch these two off guard as well make them admit to a fi- <laughs> make to admit to a film that they never would do in the street <laughs> there aren't many of them to be honest 
Right. So usually, as you know, we answer four questions each week and we get into the minutiae of how we come to our answers. This week, we're doing something slightly different. We're just going to answer one question. And that question is, what are your top five films based upon a comic book property? Obviously, following on from last week's uh, cage cast where we were discussing Ghost Rider, we're going to keep the comic book theme going for one more week. So we're going to go from our fifth position to our first position. What I suggest to you, gentlemen, is if we go round one at a time, if so if I go first, for example, if my answer is one of your answers in a later round, we'll discuss that film when we get to it then. Didn't that make sense? So my fifth position film. Now, I'm not a massive fan of the MCU. It's OK, but I do appreciate what it has done for comic book movies in general. So I do feel I need to put some recognition onto the MCU. So for me, my fifth place is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Is that on your list, Stu? It's my fifth as well. Oh, it is. Okay. Matt, is it on your list? It is on my list. It is my third. Okay, so we'll discuss it when we get to, to that round of it, I think. So, Stu, what's your... Oh, you've just said your fifth place. So, yeah, Guardians as well. So, Matt, what's your fifth? Uh, my fifth would be uh, 300. The uh, Greek tragedy that is um, essentially... As I've not made any um, bones about it. I love blood, guts and violence as much as possible <laughs> in my films. And this has it in abundance. I really like Greek mythology and I really like um, the, the over-the-top story of like Spartans and the um, Persian Empire and, and everything in between, really. Um, it was just so gratuitously violent and was filmed in a way that felt really, really fresh at the time. Mm. Um, I hadn't seen a film like it at the time. Um, where it was really dark and brooding and full of testosterone to the point where it, was, <laughs> it wanted you to beat your own shit. You know what? The last time I felt that pumped, it's going to sound so stupid now, was when I watched Mortal Kombat for the first time when I was a kid. <laughs> and like, like, and I got up and wanted to like start karate kicking around at the end of Mortal Kombat because it just, it's just one of those, you know, they all look amazing in the film and it makes you almost want to get off your ass and stop eating that massive bowl of popcorn. Um, <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's not the most complex of films and it's not exactly going to make you think about world politics and make you want change, to you change your life apart from to maybe look a bit better. But it's, it's you know, it gets the heart going for me um, and I just think it's it was a really exciting and fresh film at the time for me when I first started watching it. And it looks really impressive as well with that style. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. I, mean- I, I think I saw this before I saw Sin City. Um, so I, I wasn't used to, so I mean, Sin City is very dark, isn't it? And it's very noir and, um, whereas 300, it, you know, it start even, even when with the famous, this is Sparta, he kicks him down the, down the huge, I don't know if it's a well or just a pit. Um, and the way that was all put together, it was just, my heart was going like a fear when I was watching it. Just, just absolutely love it. Mm. I mean, say what you will about Zack Snyder. Um, but he's a very good visual director. Mm-hmm. that sort of hyper hyper realized action is it's superb when you see in watchmen for example um so I, I think he brings a certain certain style to that film that is very difficult to replicate and there are, haven't been many directors who've been able to achieve that 
So I think a big portion of probably why most people like 300 is on Zack Snyder's shoulders, personally. So, so yeah, in my fourth place, now I keep going back and forth between these two films, between my, my third and fourth place. Um, right, in, in fourth place for me is Kick-Ass. Nope. And so we're good to carry on with that. So Kick-Ass for me, it's one of the first comic books where I remember reading the comic book and it it felt like you were reading a script for a film or a storyboard of a film. It, it was very much written in that style that any direction in the world could pick this up and run with this. And then someone as next level genius as Matthew Vaughan picks it up and creates this whole world based around what's ostensibly the world we live in now, but people who just sort of want to actually help society a little bit and out of that then he obviously creates this dave oh dave Liz, Liz, i can never pronounce his surname <laughs> i know his first name's dave uh, so yeah dave then creates kickass as his character to get out there and help the small pit the small man on the street and from that he then meets his other characters so you got big daddy and hit girl as well and then he goes on they take down a crime mafia and rather than just following the comic book beat for beat, they take it off in areas that they explore more. So it's not just a retread of the comic book. It's a it's a deeper dive into the issues that they raise in there. So dealing with the guilt of um, losing a parent or uh, the, the guilt of lying to his friends and family. I think it's such a wonderful film that it's proper hard hitting, but at the same time, it really does make you root for the characters mm-hmm. even though you see them break people's noses and do horrible things you think oh, actually they're doing it for the right reasons and i quite love that yeah i um i really like it it, it hadn't made my list uh, but it was one of those it, it, it was an honorable mention it was it was mm-hmm. very close to being to making my list and I'm, it's no surprise it's on yours what i really liked about that uh, what about kickass it was it was Deadpool before Deadpool was done. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was. It, it, you know, I think it's the first. I'm not going to drop the C bomb for fear of offending someone because I don't know what our listeners will do. That's the first time I've ever heard a child on screen say it. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And um, for anyone that hasn't watched it, I won't give away spoilers to um, what uh, our, our hero, our cult hero Nick Cage's role in, in the film, but he's excellent in it as well, and um, just a really great adult romp into the superhero genre where it's just very fulfilling it's very fun it's and the like the way that some of the fight scenes are done is so ultra violent but not in a blood and guts way mm. um it's done it's done really it's done really well um matthew vaughan will be um brought up in my list a bit more so we'll, we'll thrash those out a bit more because i think he's going to appear a lot in this it was very unexpected as well I remember when I went to watch that and I, I had no real preconceptions of what it was going to be. Again, not with something not based on something that I knew of. Mm. And it was similar to like when Heroes, the TV series Heroes started and it, that wasn't based on an actual comic book. It was based on just superheroes in general. And mm. there was all that thing of, is it just going to be a rip-off? Is it like going to be a quick save version and all this kind of stuff? But Heroes turned out to be great, the first season anyway. And Kick-Ass was the same. And I think, like you said, everything, the ultra-violence as well. 
and the swearing from from children in it. It was almost a no fucks given approach, which was just refreshing for me. And I'll, we're going to go on. We'll go on to it later and properly anyway. But yeah, fully understand why it's on the list. Cool. Stu, what's your number four? I was torn because I've got there was one my I say my allegiance to the MCU, but there is a, a fair few on here. I mean, let's just put it out there: all these comic book films is exactly what I watch anyway, <laughs> the vast majority of the time. So, whittling it down, it's got it is Winter Soldier, just because it's as I mentioned before, it's a great espionage film in its own right, let alone just because it's got Captain America and S.H.I.E.L.D. and all the stuff. But there's there's moments in that film, again, not spoiling it, but who hasn't seen it by now? <laughs> there's moments in that film that, where I was genuinely shocked the, mm. the, what, what they'd gone, the way they'd gone with things. And I think it just it's just a class above a lot of the MCU films, just to how it's written, how it's made, how it's... Even how it's shot, because it's slightly different to I know Captain America. The first Captain America is not the best film in the, the series whatsoever, but this was just, it was almost like an, a second Avengers film in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, yeah, just the way that they developed it in such an excellent way. Again, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Yeah, uh, for me, I think Winter Soldier was the film where the MCU grew up. Yeah. Because before then, they were all very, very light-hearted. And, and I know that's generally the style they go for. But this felt the film where it was like, yeah, we, we can do some grown-up shit as well. So, you know, come come along for the journey. But which is what I wouldn't have expected from the Russo brothers when knowing that they they got their big break in like writing community and directing community episodes. I would have expected it to be like quite high on the comedy aspects. But So, yeah, it's the, it's the film where the MCU grew up, I think. Matt, opinions on that one? Um, I, Captain America is my least favourite of the big hitters in the Avengers. Mm. Uh, and I know it's not necessarily a um, Captain America film per se. You know, a lot is placed on the Winter Soldier itself, hence the title. In the same way that Civil War isn't just based on um, Captain America. And, you know, I think Civil War, um, if I was to pick between the two, I'd much prefer to watch that than Winter Soldier. But it was you're exactly right. At this point is where it started to ramp up in the... Um, the accelerator was really put down towards what we now know as the, you know, the final push towards kind of end game and, and, and the infinity war saga, really. Um, it, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I wouldn't go out my way to not watch it. It just, like, I think I mentioned um, last week, the MCU is good to watch, but I'm not one of these. I wouldn't go out my way to watch all of the films in a row and do a, and do a, um, a marathon of it or anything like that. <laughs> I'd much rather look at, um, Kind of well, some of the films on my list. I think I've got I've got one Marvel film on my list. Um, there are there's other things out there that pique my interest. Mm. So your number four then, Matt. My number four um, is Kingsman: Secret Service. Great choice. Absolutely. Um, so Matthew Vaughan, um, as I, as I said, but what I like about Kingsman: Secret Service is I was never really into Bond growing up. Bond didn't really do a lot for me, but Kingsman gets the campness of Bond that's quite fun and then adds this, how do I put it? It's so, it's so traditionally a spy film, just so wonderfully done in the modern era. It has all of like the 
cliches of a spy film and it even knows it and Samuel mm. L. Jackson's character talks about it how he really enjoys the old spy films and it, I think it's just put really well together like you know what do we want out of a spy film when we watch a spy film we want gadgets we want um gratuitous violence we want suave we want we want seduction and that's what this film has in abundance um but just set in our time we're not talking about sean connery we're talking about the 21st century i think it's just done really really well absolutely mm. loved it i loved the um the plot in regards to you know so the stories that actually talk about the extermination of the human race as something to save the planet piques my interest in a really sadistic way because i actually <laughs> think that <laughs> there are always elements of this that actually have a bit of truth to it because you know we are overpopulated and the planet and everything else yada yada um and it has one of the greatest fight scenes in the um in the church mm-hmm. to um to Leonard Skinner's Freebird. I could watch that time and time again. How they would choreograph something like that, I, I would never ever know even where to begin. Um the Golden Circle wasn't bad either. It didn't quite hit the same heights for me um as the first film. But again, it's um it's something that so I, I watched it, really enjoyed it. My wife, she really enjoys it. And her parents, we all watched it together once. And even and they really enjoyed it. And they are really not into that kind of film. But they took the elements of the spy films that they love because they're really into Bond um, and, and could still enjoy it. And even Michael Caine's short kind of cameo in it is quite entertaining, especially when he plays this really straight-laced um, character all the way through. And then, and then at the end, he's like Cockney London roots come through. Um, I think it's really well done. I just really like the film. I think it's really mm. fun. Yeah, I mean, um, if you don't know, the Kingsman film, uh, the comic book that's based on is written by the same guy who wrote Kick-Ass. They're both by Mark Miller. So he does have this way of writing comic books, which are very filmic. And I think when you then see films based on it, you can really see mm-hmm. the inspiration behind it. And it works so well. Uh, but yeah, uh, as you say, Matthew Vaughan, wonderful i also think whether or not either of you mention x-men first class that for me is the best of the x-men well whole i was gonna say trilogy but however many films have been of x-men for me matthew vaughan is the one who did the best x film yeah that, that's that's absolutely sound that <laughs> there's no argument well i was gonna say days of future past was all right but yeah you can't really argue with that because it's you could you could almost watch that one without watching any of the others mm-hmm. even though even though it's the fourth fourth one fourth maybe? one yeah yeah um i'm not i've not seen this film <laughs> i've not seen kingsman oh wow well. oh, oh you'll love it too it's over there i've never watched it can we give you some homework Jeez. then for, uh, <laughs> for, for the next part it, it's um mark was raving about it and that scene as well in the church that oh, i know all about it and he, he must have given it me about two years ago and i've never watched it it's sitting there looking at me. I can see it there now. That is a perfect stew film. I'm oh, amazed no, you haven't seen it. Well, <laughs> it's sitting there on top of Fast and Furious Seven. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So my third choice is the 1978 classic Superman. I just think that for for something to really move us forward into the modern era. It was Superman. Obviously, I know that they did the serials way, way back in the the old black and white days. But if you wanted to bring a character into the modern day, it was going to be the Man of Tomorrow. You needed to have Superman. It it probably wouldn't have worked if you'd done it with Batman. 
And when they said that you really believed a man could fly, I think that speaks volumes for, for where they were at that point in time. I think historically it has such a massive importance, not just to comic book films, but to film in general. The whole use of uh, the way they show him flying, so you'd have the obviously the camera work and everything like that, which comes with the, the, the tricks in order to make it look realistic. They would then go on to use in other film properties. I think it's a seminal piece of work. It's written by Mario Puzo, the writer of The Godfather, for crying out loud. Yeah. It's got proper chops when it comes to writing. Dick Donner directed it, one of the all-time greats. So I just think, for me, Superman. And no one's ever come close to being Chris Reeves when it comes to either Superman or Clark Kent. He is. He's both of those characters. And it's it's come to define probably the most iconic character not just in comic book literature um you know in, in not comic book law but in literary fields ever you know it's the character everyone knows superman yeah can't argue on any of that um because i prefer superman 2 but you'd never get superman 2 without the first one obviously mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it is weird to think of a time when people wouldn't have known who Superman is and that logo wouldn't have been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, it, I think going to Superman 2, the director's cut is far yeah. superior to the theatrical version. So the Dick Donner director's cut, fantastic movie. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Stu, where's your, uh, your third film taking us? Uh, back into 2017. It's a tiny film called Logan, and which I fully expected you to have on your Sunday. But um, no. <laughs> when we're talking, when we're talking about X Men films, I know it's not really in the um, in the uh, well, it's canon, I suppose, but it's because it's it has got a certain Professor X later on. But just for what he did for, even though amazingly, it's only a fifteen and not an eighteen, which I mm. always thought it was. Um, just for how gritty and unexpected it was and for a character that everyone wanted that to be from the start kind of thing. It's the kind of glammed Wolverine up a bit in the uh, X-Men films. And I know he's taller and he he looks pretty impressive (laughs) as a, as a male specimen when that's not exactly what he looks like in the comics. So people have been asking for this film for a long time and they got it. Mm. And it, it was, I was just blown away by it. In the same way, when I watched Mad Max, and we've talked about Mad Max Fury Road a lot, a lot of times on here, just the uh, just the way it was executed and the way that they didn't, they treated the audience like adults, mm. and you just go along, you watch a film. Yeah, it's about mutants. Obviously, it's not going to be realistic in that sense, but just because you had swearing in an X Men film for the first time in what seventeen years mm. of all of them and just a subject matter and just I mean, it's, it's no spoiler to say that I had a tear at the end mm-hmm. <laughs> and for an X-Men film to do that to me, it was, I just loved it. And I've only watched it another t- two times since then. Mm. just because I really do. I really do think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I think I've only, I've seen it the first time and was just absolutely blown away by it. It felt like they treated the character with the respect that it was due yeah. It didn't. It didn't have to be a comic book character, though. It was a story about 
growing old and accepting your fate. And it just so happened to be about a mutant who could, you know, regenerate. But that wasn't the important thing. The, the heart of the story really was about that acceptance and obviously the young girl leaving her to to grow up in a, a, a safer world. It's a wonderful film with a real a real strong moral story to it, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I'd, agree, I'd agree with all of that. Um, like... I don't think he'd been given a, a very good ride up to that point, Wolverine as a character, in terms of um, his representation in that in that world, really. I don't think until... I don't know where these films lie chronologically with some of the, the newer, like with Dark Phoenix and, and, and that era of film with First Class, where all, they all fall into each other. But um, Logan had, had no right to be as good as it, as it was. It, it was really moving. I don't really... My heart isn't invested in the character of Wolverine at all. Um, but I really loved that film. It was bleak and it was dark and it was thought provoking and it had a bit of moral backbone to it. Exactly. As you said, Andy, um, I think it was just a fantastic, fantastic film. Um, and to the point where it got me to the point where I didn't like think about wanting to watch it again anytime soon because it actually hit quite hard. Mm, Um, and not in a pleasurable way in that, like I really, you know, it, it was hit quite hard. It was quite, it took it, it took its toll in a, in, a, in a really strange way for a film that is predominantly about mutants, but that's just you know, you know a measure of how good it is. Mm. I'd love I'd love to see it in black and white. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure. I don't know if I, I dreamed that, but is there, I'm sure there's an option no, yeah. to watch it in black and white. There is apparently. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's black and white or if it's chrome. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one or the other that they apparently is one of the features on the one of the special edition Blu-rays. But I mean, full disclosure, I'm not a big Hugh Jackman fan and I'm not really a big fan of Wolverine either. But having seen that, I was sort of like, okay, maybe I need to read a bit more of Old Man Logan or, you know, try and look into a bit more of the work. And yeah, there aren't many films that have had that sort of impact. And yeah, I think that's a top, top shout. So your third, Matt. Yeah, so one that's I think is on all of our lists, just in different uh, different areas, would be Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume One. Um, again, like like I mentioned earlier, um, this falls into Deadpool before Deadpool was Deadpool in terms of the cinematic uh, kind of film. Very very funny. Um, you can watch this film and it be a different kind of film for you every time. You can enjoy the action in it and the special effects of the CGI. You can enjoy the sci-fi elements of it. You can enjoy it purely as a comic piece, if you like. Um, you can watch it and purely want to watch it just for Dave Bautista's performance as Drax. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's a really, really excellent film that has one of, probably I'd say, at least a top five soundtracks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Which are really fantastic. The, it's it's soundtrack itself is like a vinyl that people own like because it's so good um you know a lot of people own it um the soundtrack and it's just that was a film that i felt at the time was easy for people like me who aren't massively into comic book um stories that it was really easily digestible because not everybody knew about it and i didn't feel quite as alienated watching it that people that i knew that knew everything there was to know about superman batman and 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 thor and captain america and everything else it just felt like it was something really fresh and original that i hadn't heard to death before i just really really enjoyed it yeah i mean guardians of the galaxy is a property that i 
I'd never even heard of before they announced this film. I knew pretty much stuff about all of the other characters that had come before them. But Guardians was the first film in the MCU that I went into just knowing nothing. So I had like rock bottom expectations of this film. I thought this is going to be where the wheels come off. And it absolutely wasn't. It was for me, it was where it picked up speed because you look at all the other films and the Marvel films, they love a snarky one liner. And I'll be honest, that just turns me off these films. They're all basically the same. They're all sarcastic arseholes. This was the first film that was actually funny, like actually laugh out loud funny. And I think a big part of that goes down to James Gunn, the director, because he before then he's done mostly schlocky horror or sort of dumb comedy stuff. And he brings that to this massive budget movie and he just knocks it out of the park. But that also reminds me of another film, actually, which I could have answered to the, the question we had from Tom earlier with the uh, comic book, uh, no, superhero film that isn't based on a comic book. Watch a film called Super, which is also by James Gunn. It's brilliant. Stu, I know you've got something to say on this film. Yeah, it was... When we were in top five, I was trying to think of ones that are different enough from each other. The so this is obviously the complete polar opposite of Logan. Um, mm. And that's why I put it on my list. But yeah, exactly the same as you. I had no clue what was going on with this. I'd, I'd, never, I'd heard of them, some of the characters, but I didn't know who they were. I didn't know anything really about them. I mean, Vin Diesel was going to be playing a tree, which is funny. <laughs> um, and says with three words. So it's almost like a theme where of this whole thing going in blind. And as my usual thing with films that I know I'm going to watch, I don't even watch a teaser or let alone a trailer for it. So going in, having no clue what was going on, it just blew me away. And like you said, Matt, about the soundtrack, the soundtrack was the first one that I'd bought in a long time. Probably when I know when I mentioned the full Monty soundtrack a few weeks ago, (laughs) Um, that's the soundtrack alone is a reason to watch it. And, when I when I was trying to sell it to um, I was trying to sell it to my mom. I, I said, "You need to go and watch it. It's like this is your era." She's like, "What do you mean?" And I went, well, "Just go and watch it. It's it's got a VH, it's got a cassette tape full of music from the eighties and stuff, and it's it's like fun Star Wars." And she, went, oh. she watched it and loved it exactly the same as everyone else who's. I don't. I have never met anyone who's watched this film who doesn't at least like it. And it, it's, it hasn't at, least, hasn't at least made them smile, which is pretty much what it's all about, especially with things like this. And yeah. the the effects as well, the CG is superb. It's not hokey or anything. It just everything about it just works. It's perfect. Mm. And Matt, you, you singled out Dave Batista's performance in that, mm-hmm. and like obviously I, we're both wrestling fans. Um, Dave Batista was always someone I liked. But he was never someone I would have thought would go on to become a Hollywood A-lister. And yeah. it is off the back of this film, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah like, I, you know, uh, you, there are very funny wrestlers um, out there that use that as their the thing that they get over with. But Dave Batista wasn't one of those people. So his comedic chops really come through in this film. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, they, they really pick on up. In, in volume two um but 
you you literally could you could scrap this part of the podcast and say we're never talking about anything we've talked about in Guardians of the Galaxy. Start again, and then we'd be talking about Bradley Cooper, or we'd be talking mm-hmm. um, even about um, I don't know uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora. You know what I mean? There's so much we haven't even mentioned Chris Pratt. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's so much about this film that is excellent, um, and it's only not my number one because my number one has a bit more of a real life moral thing for me um it's a bit more of a thought provoker but you're right Stu. i don't think there's many people out there that can honestly say they can't find something they don't that they don't enjoy about this film and i mean you've singled out chris pratt now as well that we, we haven't mentioned which is criminal when you think about it yeah yeah I'm a big fan of Parks and Rec. I don't know if either of you have seen that, but that, I think, was his real breakout performance. And he was just this sort of slovenly bro-dude kind of uh, guy who was just a bit dim. And he's just taken that character, got buff, and then flew into <laughs> space. And that's just wonderful. Yeah, is this excellent. Well, is this our first uh, introduction to Thanos? He was no. there. He'd been teased in. He'd been teased at like the after credit scenes and stuff. Right. Beforehand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I mean, the only weak part of Guardians, and it's something that a lot of people pick up on. They always say that Ronan, what's his full name, Ronan the Destroyer, is it? They, yes, they say he's so. the the weakest villain in the MCU, but. For me, it's not so much about the villain. The villain just needs to be there in the background. This film is all about the chemistry between your main guys on the ship. It's between those five for me. And that's where all of the heart of that film lies. Ronan. Yeah. It's not necessarily negative. They even try and shoehorn a tiny bit of comedy in with him in his complete... Um, inability to to understand the kind of wit and humour of Star Lord when like especially when he's doing like his dance off and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's just a really really excellent film. Really excellent. You're gonna be fine, baby doll. So we're into the the vaunted number two position now. And it breaks my heart to put it in number two. But for me, it's going to be Scott Pilgrim. I adore this film. I mean, you both know how much I love Edgar Wright's work, generally speaking. And this film, it's like it's the closest to reading a comic book on a big screen you will ever see. I think the, the use of the sound in it. So right at the very start, you get the 8-bit version of the Universal um logo as it comes up and immediately you know what you're in for when you see that you know this is going to be very much pitched at the nintendo kid generation which is me to a t <laughs> so you get that you get numerous references to people uh, mario brothers zelda you get all of that you get this story about this dude who's just kind of coasting through life until he meets the girl of his dreams and then he has to fight her seven evil exes <laughs> and you get cameos from um, Chris Evans, who's brilliant as this absolute asshole actor, sort of playing on the, the reputation that he had a little bit at that time. 
Brandon Routh is just phenomenal. It's one of the best performances I've seen from someone who's only on screen for like five minutes. The whole stuff about I'm better because I'm vegan is just fucking <laughs> hilarious, especially when you know that a couple of years later, that sort of became a real life thing. And Michael Sarah, you just, you properly feel for the dude and all of the obstacles that get thrown in his way and he doesn't back down and he just keeps going and it's just such an admirable feat of, of from an actor in it. I just, I just love it. I just just love it. I, I don't know what else to say other than that. To be honest, I just love it. I can see. I can see knowing you and the films that you enjoy that this just ticks all of your boxes in terms of what you love um, from like. A film with heart, a film that's massively original. Like I can't think of a plot like it that I've seen before or after it. Um, Michael Sarah, he's my first interaction with him would be would be through um, Arrested Development, mm. um, and you could argue that he plays a very similar role in a lot of what he does. A very awkward, um, almost not cringeworthy like a David Brent at all, but like cr- uh, awkward to watch. Um, adult teenager who kind of bumbles his way around relationships in a way and I think he does it in a really really entertaining way um when I saw Scott Pilgrim for the first time I just thought this is I thought I someone had slipped an acid so it was because I just it was it was really entertaining but I thought this is just unlike anything I've seen before it was just really fresh really original um I probably haven't given it as much i haven't seen it for a long time now and i think the way you've described it to me if there's ever an elevator pitch for it it would be that because i think we're going to go back to go back and watch it again mm. um but yeah yeah it's a really good show yeah and i mean obviously on guardians we mentioned the soundtrack being so mm. excellent and this is an original soundtrack so a lot of the songs that were played by sex Babam and mb adams they were written by beck purely for this film and i can quite happily sit and listen to that album over and over they don't sound like films written for a film they sound like songs like actual proper music it's excellent have you seen it yeah i watched it because i remember hearing about it and it not interesting me one bit Mm. to start with and i was just checking it then in 2010 10 years ago and yeah it would have been the very early days of podcasts and things like that on IGN and them all raving about it all the time. And that's the only reason I watched it. And again, I loved it. I thought it was great. But it wasn't until the second, again, theme of the show, I think, the second and third time I watched it that I really got it. And that's not age. That was just one of them of the moment things. And I, I appreciate it. It's not even my, it's nowhere near at the top. But I, I enjoy it a lot, but it is it's it's mindless fun and mm. sometimes that's all, all you want and we're going to come to that in, in a bit but um yeah i i enjoy it it's a, it's a fun it's a fun film and i know like matt said i know exactly why you like it yeah yeah so what's in your uh, second position then Shu? the dark knight that that's also in my uh obviously you know where it's going to fall now yeah, so, we'll, so we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, should we um should we get to Matt's uh, number two and then make some honourable mentions before I do our first one then? Yeah, Matt, what's your uh, number two? So this is a film that for me absolutely summarises my early teens to a T, 
and that would be The Crow. <sighs> I <clears throat> loved The Crow. There was this film could do no wrong for mm. me. Um, so growing up into heavy metal, well, first of all into new metal like Limbiscuit and the like, and then it getting progressively heavier. Um, reminds me of a time where so I'd see uh, we'd see, I'd see my dad once a week, and the routine would be um, we'd go to the local corner shop, rent a film, watch a film on a Friday night, have some food, and then I'd go back to my mind. That that'd be my that'd be my uh, that'd be my my week. My, um, and we'd always rent like an eighteen film, even though I'd be like. 10 years old <laughs> so that's when i watched spawn for the first time i watched the godfather um not the same but i watched star wars with my dad and those kind of things and then one day he brought the crow now this was just around the time i was getting into kind of um rock music and after seeing this film a week later my out my style completely changed that was when i decided all black was the only color i was ever going to wear i'd go to an under 18s nightclub and paint my face white with black <laughs> makeup on <laughs> this film was everything i wanted and more it was just it was just fantastic it was so dark and it was so it was so sexy in its own way and the story was really morbid um and it it had uh, it was like a love story, but to do with death and and the crow was, you know, I wanted my, I wanted my own crow. That's how that's how ridiculous it was. This <laughs> film, it's like I I don't pretend that it's a fantastic film now. Rewatching it back, this is the reverse of a lot of what we've talked about. Like on second third viewing, it's this is it probably gets worse the more I watch it. But it just meant so much to me at the time. It defined like the period I was in my life in terms of the music I was listening to and the kind of things I was interested in. Um, it's like visual style was really interesting for me. Uh, I hadn't seen anything like it before, and like the the the, the creative ways that he kills his the people he's after, and then you know puts the crow on them in some way was, was like was just fascinating. And um, and then I can't even forget the story um, about Brandon Lee, who you know oh. tragically <laughs> died during the filming of it, and that itself just brought something off like an air of mystery to this film um and yeah it just I, I i can't i can't have a comic book list without without the crow in it i loved it so much i even had time for its increasingly worse sequels um <laughs> city of angels was okay and then um the third one i think was salvation which mm -hmm. had uh, angel in it um from buffy i think that sort of might, might be, be the fourth one david Boreanis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but no, believe you, Mister, you do it well. We'll watch it. We'll, we could do it as a picture pod because it's that shit. We could rip it apart <laughs> for about three hours. Um, but yeah, it's got to be the crow. What do you two think of it? I I loved it. It, as you say, at that time of life, it seems so big and important. Yeah. It's got this conspiracy theory surrounding it as well. I remember back then, I loved a conspiracy theory, and it back then it just. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just... Yeah, like you say, it, it just felt like it was such an important film for that time. I remember um, I was part of, like, a video club. Remember back in the day, they used to send you a catalogue and you could order a video every month. And I ordered The Crow the one month. And that was it. It was like, okay, this is the greatest film that's ever been made. Yeah. And I, we, I, I haven't seen it. It's got to be 15 years, at least 15 years. I would love to know how it's aged. I mean, 94. But when I think of it, 
I think actually that could be pretty timeless because the story, the story is strong enough that you don't need it to be shiny and new. I think it would still work today if it was made. I think so. I mean, there's a forum, a boy and his bird, or um, that has been around for ages now that always leaks that it's it's going to be. And I could have. I'm sure I haven't dreamt this, but at some point they'd cast Jason Momoa as um, mm. as the crow. Yeah, they had, I heard that as well. Um, oh, okay. And you know, I, I I I don't know how. I don't know if he. I don't. It might just literally just be pure jealousy of the man. But I don't know if how he would come across as the um, the rock star Eric Draven. Um, we'll see. I I would one hundred percent opening day see it. That's all I could tell you. Mm. I mean, according to IMDb, there is something known as the Crow. There's no release date on it. It does say as of August two thousand and sixteen, Jason Momoa is in talks to play Eric Draven. But it also lists Bradley Cooper, Mark Wahlberg, Channing Tatum, Pattinson, McAvoy, Hiddleston, Skarsgård and Sam Witwer all considered to be. So it, it sounds like it's still very, very early days in pre-production if it ever comes back out. Mm-hmm. Stu, does it need a remake, do you think? No, 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 no. I, I remember when, when I saw this when the first few weeks of secondary school. And I thought it was one of the coolest fucking things I'd ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was superb. It was just, it was just so different to anything I'd seen before. Yeah. I mean, obviously, being like eleven, um, <laughs> eleven or twelve. Well, yeah, yeah, because it would have been on yeah. video. So yeah, eleven, twelve years old, something like that. And yeah, it was just, you know, I can't wax lyrical like Matt has about it. But yeah, it just again, I probably haven't seen it for a long, long time. But the from what I remember of it. Just the imagery and certain shots that you just look just in your mind as soon as you think of the crow. Mm. It's just it's just that it was just how it was framed for all the time as well. We'd had dark films obviously before that, but it was I think it was all about like the um like the grunge look and everything being yeah. in at the time and mm. the whole Nirvana situation and all that stuff and the it Nirvana was very... situation. <laughs> <laughs> if these didn't have their if these podcasts didn't have their own titles like it wasn't Christian <laughs> Cast 5, 6, 7, 8 that would have to be the title <laughs> if, if he hadn't shot himself in the face with a shotgun would this film have got made just saying that here we go listen to this right I want to talk you through um, just before we sidebar the, so the fourth the fourth crow was the crow wicked prayer now listen to this for a cast right Edward Furlong Terminator 2's fame, Ed Furlong is in it. Um, David Baranes, uh, Tara Reid is in it, Tito Ortiz is in it, Dennis Hopper is in it, and Danny Trejo is in it. Jesus, I would watch that. If you put that cast in anything else, I am there to watch it. The the second film, City of Angels, also has a surprisingly good, um, it's a bit more than a cameo, but he's not in it for too long. Uh, Iggy Pop is in it. Mm. And actually, actually, he's pretty damn good in it as well. He fits very much the the feel of that film in general. I think Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, I think if you'd wanted some rock star in a film, it would be Iggy Pop in that. Works perfectly. But I've only seen the first two, and I've never read the comic book series, so I can't really compare it to it. But yeah, it's a good call. So that's five to two. A few honourable mentions then. Um, Stu, do you want to throw a couple out first off? 
Well, a couple. I've got five. <laughs> um, I'll just just get through them quickly. Batman nineteen sixty six, just for the sheer lunacy of it all. Yeah, you can't get rid of a bomb and all that thing, that kind of thing. Um, Deadpool, we've mentioned loads already. Um, the Mask. Mm-hmm. But again, mid ninety mid nineties. So you go from watching The Mask to watching The Crow. <laughs> 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 that that was my early teens. Um, but another one, uh, I think it's kind of messy with the rules a bit. A scanner darkly. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's technically not a comic book. It's um, Philip K. Dick, but just the style of it, and again, coolness factor. It's effectively turned itself into a comic book, mm. and yeah. I I haven't seen anything like that since. Probably for a reason, but it's probably massively expensive to do what they did with it, um, visually turning it into a light look. Well, it was like an animated. Uh, did they draw over the live action? Is that how they did it? Yeah, they did. Yeah, every single cell. So that would have been. Well, they'd have had to pay to shoot it and then pay animators on top of it. So it would have been expensive. Yeah, but if no one's seen it, give that give that film a chance. It's it's weird as fuck, but it's I I was into it at the time. Mm. Uh, Matt, have you got any honourable mentions? I do. Um, and anybody listening back to this is going to... They'll not believe that my number one isn't your number one or Stu's number two. Um, and I've been a bit hipster about it, really, because I wanted to actually have this podcast be longer than 15 minutes because I think we all would have had the same choices <laughs> for a lot of it. Um, so, Joker, for one. I, I absolutely adored Joker, the most the most recent film, Joker. Um, but I enjoyed it from its kind of um, scaled down appeal. You know, there's, it's not a lot. It's not a lot of pizzazz to it in terms of explosions and and gunfire and all that kind of that kind of thing. It, but its story really gripped me, and the, I think you know, it, if it allows just a small handful of people to question the way that we treat mental health, then it's it's done something good to me. Uh, I think the way that we do treat mental health in, especially in this country and in, in other countries, is shambolic at times. Um, and I think, even if it just raises awareness, that's that's done something good for me. It does glorify um, violence in a strange way. So one of the, my, my friend who I went to the cinema to go see it with, he was actually really put out by the film. He said it, it was a glamorization of kind of um, like like. like like the Columbine massacre and stuff like that, where mm. people will go and do these violent crimes as a, all these violent acts as um, a retaliation, and it glorifies that. But I saw it a little differently, if I'm honest. Um, a strange kind of, um, a strange kind of honourable mention, more because I think it was just something. It was maybe just a lot better than I expected it to be. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's the greatest film of all time, but I actually really enjoyed the Birds of Prey film um, that oh, came out recently. Great film. Or the Emancipation of uh, Harley Quinn, um, mm-hmm. I think is its, its tagline, or um, the fantabulous Emancipation of one Harley Quinn, I should say. I just think it, um, it's one of these where it had no right to be as good as it was. They didn't over-sexualise um, Margot Robbie in it for me. Um, and I thought all oh, that's all it was going to be. It was just going to be tits and ass the whole way through. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's not. Um, and it's actually a really interesting story that shot like 
it, the fourth wall doesn't exist. Sorry, the fourth wall is broken so many times in that film. And I love that about it. That's what I liked about, again, Deadpool is that it, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And I just think it was, it was, it was fantastic. It had these um, animated sidebars that were really entertaining. It had a good story. And I think it was much better than it had any right to be. So I'll just give those two as honourable mentions for me. Cool. My honourable mentions. Um, History of Violence. I think that is a very well-made film. It is perfectly paced. Viggo Mortensen is excellent in it. A guy we've mentioned a few times, Ed Harris. The absolute bubbling underneath a calm exterior with rage. That performance is just electric history of violence watch it that's weird a comic si- book yes it is yeah yeah mm. um weird science that's based on a comic book series i've never read the comic book series but i love weird science <laughs> one of my favorites uh watchmen it's one of the closest comic book to film adaptations i've seen and the last one I'm going to mention, it's not a comic book film, so I am bending the rules somewhat. Uh, it's a film with a lot of comic book mentions, and it's my favourite Stan, Stan Lee cameo. And it's a film called Mall Rats, the Kevin Smith film. Mm. I, I love Stan Lee's cameo in that. It, it makes me cry when I see it. I just think it's perfect. So there are my honourable mentions. Uh, so if we do a quick rundown, five to two, and then we'll give our number ones. So... It, for fifth place for me was Guardians, fourth was Kick-Ass, third was Superman, two was Scott Pilgrim. Stu? Mine was fifth Guardians, fourth Captain America Winter Soldier, third Logan, second The Dark Knight. Matt? So for me, five was 300, uh, four was Kingsman Secret Service, three Guardians of the Galaxy, volume one, two The Crow. Okay, so my number one, I've had to cheat. It's the Dark Knight trilogy. (laughs) We don't like a cheater. (laughs) If I didn't have the trilogy there, it would literally have been one, two and three would have been these three. And it's the only way I could fit it in. Do either of you two have either of those three films before we dive into it? Not me. the, The Dark Knight's my second, so. This is the seminal trilogy of our lifetime if you think of like the last say 40 years i know we're not quite there yet but i don't think there is a trilogy that has had quite the impact that the dark knight trilogy has had um each of the three films are damn near perfect i know the third one gets shit on a little bit but i think it's very harshly treated the second film especially is obviously the standout movie of the three the performance of Heath Ledger as the Joker, it, it has gone down in history. He won an Oscar for it, possibly because it was posthumously, but either way, he still got that Oscar for it. It's up there with, if you look at, say, like Toy Story, you look at the three, the first three Toy Story films, the story it tells. This is a trilogy that does the same. There aren't many trilogies which do that. They tend to be three films that really you can take out and just watch on its own. But I think that you need to see start to end to see the full trail of Bruce Wayne from when he's broken down at the beginning. You see him 
where he's starting out, he's fresh. It's about new beginnings. It's about starting anew. The second one is obviously about middle age. It's about accepting who you are and running with it and doing what you have to do to make sure things get through. And that third one is about old age. It's about accepting the journey that you've been on and just pushing through to the end to make sure everything's good when it's all said and done. I think it's perfect. Stu? It's very good. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> I just, um, I just, the third one just kind of, you're talking, for me, it's nine, ten, eight in that in that order for me. Although the Dark Knight was perfect, just perfect. You can't, and like we said about Logan and like we said um, about, what do you say? We've mentioned it in other something as well. The films that don't, it doesn't really matter. Like Joker, it doesn't matter that it's comic book related. Mm. Um, if you took away the the rubber of Kevlar and all that stuff and just had it as a detective, it would work perfectly. It'd be great. So just it, it's just a film on its own. It's wonderful. Mm. Everything about it. There's not there's not one bad apart from maybe his Batman voice, which is a bit silly. Um, but apart from that, there's nothing to even pick at whatsoever. Mm. It's just I almost I've watched it four times. And that's all. So it's one. It's so good. I don't want to watch it that many times. <laughs> I don't want to get to the stage where I'm putting it on and remembering every single word. That kind of makes sense because well, I did that with the Last of Us as well. But um, yeah, it's just I love it. I love it way more than I should <laughs> for a <laughs> film like that. That's dark. That's well, incredibly dark. It's got from serious actual themes. It it costs someone their life, effectively, mm. and it shows because every every performance is perfect. I just can't say enough about it. Mm. Matt, you mentioned being a fan of Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix version. What are your thoughts on Heath Ledger as Joker? Un- unbelievable. You know, they you can't compare the two. Um, in terms of well, you can obviously you can, but it, you know they they're massively different roles and different films and different styles, and they were trying to portray different things. Um, to me, the Dark Knight trilogy will always be it's my generation's attempt at Batman, or at least when I was old enough to go and see films on my own and pay for it on my own. Um, there's there's no reason why this wouldn't be as a trilogy or as as the Dark Knight itself wouldn't be my number one if we weren't trying to flesh out a podcast. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's 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 just wonderful. I, I agree absolutely with Stu in that it goes in terms of rating nine, ten, eight for me. Um, I would have liked so people can't see this, but I have quite a large um, scarecrow tattoo on my arm. Um, and I wish they explored that in a different way. So the Scarecrow of the Arkham Asylum games mm. is a lot more stylistically what I see Scarecrow as than the Scarecrow played by Cillian Murphy um, in 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 the Dark Knight franchise. But this, you know, you can't say enough things about this film. I think people will argue this to on their deathbed, but I think Christian Bale's the best Batman that we've had, and he's exactly what a snotty, spoilt Bruce Wayne should mm. be for mm. me. I think that gets overlooked when we, because you know Batman is about the villains and how great those villains can be. Um, there's there's not a lot you can say that's wrong about the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I think it's wonderfully, wonderfully done, um, and it's one of those that 
I don't know if the th- I, 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 I don't know what it is about the third one that rubs me up. Not the wrong way, but I just don't think it's the same notes. You know, it's hard. It's hard to emulate perfection, isn't it? I guess that's the best way to talk about it. It's hard mm. to emulate such a stunning, stunning film in The Dark Knight. That is, you know, if 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 The Dark Knight Rises was its own film and the others didn't exist, it'd, it'd be absolutely wouldn't. It'd be great. There'd be that you wouldn't be able to pick flaws in it, but you you can't always just emulate perfection. Um, but yeah, absolutely love them, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be my number one, but for the sake of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll hold fire on yours for a second then and we'll uh we'll ask Stu what his number one is well we said comic books and to me comic books are fun whereas batman has always been yeah batman's comic books but batman for me is more graphic novels now and kind of the darker side of things so in going for comic books being incredible and larger than life and stuff like this then a film that kind of changed everything, which was Avengers Assemble, <laughs> which we hadn't had a team-up film ever, really, before mm-hmm. then. And like we talked last week, Ghost Rider was one year before Iron Man. <laughs> one year. <laughs> and yeah, we'd, we'd, had, we'd had X-Men, we'd had Blade, which is the, the real seminal trilogy of that, that time. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> and we'd have, we'd have a few other things um spawn but there was um hey, there was I won't no- hear your bad maps <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing nothing really to have to have it planned out like they did to have so many films leading to one big film and then that iconic scene in outside the um Grand Central Station where the camera zooms around pans around all of them and you just think this is just incredible how this is an actual film and not some kind of childhood fantasy. Mm. <laughs> just to have that, that many characters and, and for it to work. And, and again, you could you don't need to watch the films before it. You could just watch that one on its own. And I have many, many times. <laughs> so I for think, me, um, just sorry. for so for me, just for being comic books and comic books being bright and colourful and fun. That's why this beats the Dark Knight for me. Not through quality, just through different levels of interpretation. That's fair. Yeah, for me, it takes a lot for a film of that genre to give me genuine goosebumps and chills. But that scene in Avengers Assemble did exactly that. It was it was just spectacular. In that whole universe... Um, a toss-up between Civil War and Endgame will always be my favourites of that era of, of the MCU. But when I saw that for the first time, I was just blown away. And when I saw that scene, I know exactly. I can picture. I can just picture it as clear as day, where they pan around and see. Um, my own. The only thing that's very bittersweet about that is the butchering, in my opinion, of the Incredible Hulk as the as the saga has gone on, mm-hmm. um, almost unforgivably for me. How they've kind of turn him into a bit of a sidekick a bit of a almost turned on the humor with him i know he's kind of funny anyway like ragnarok and stuff like that but um but yeah but no you're absolutely right you're amazing yeah i think you've you've got it right that it's it's not the best film it's not the best film of the mcu but it's probably the most important you you can't take away that like as a kid who grew up reading dc comics don't get me wrong i would prefer to have seen the justice league first (laughs) 
but to get that finally on screen, this huge, like, like you say, if you think of each film as a comic book, then leading into a massive comic book of Avengers Assemble, it, that's what it was like watching it. So the yeah, I think the importance far outweighs the quality in that film. And yeah, and just to heap praise on that scene once more, I, I can hear the music in my ears now of when it happens. It was just so perfect. Yeah, well, let me just say for Nate and uh, other people and Todd, it was called Avengers Assemble over here because of the uh, event, the silly Avengers film, Avengers series from the seventies, <laughs> eighties, whatever that was on. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, every, yeah, everywhere else in the in the world, it was just called Avengers. In, in England, in Wales, Scotland, it was Avengers Assemble. Yeah. So Matt, do you want to finish us off with your number one, please? So this was another kind of uh, Crow-esque, very much at the time, my pseudo-political feelings came through in this film very much. Uh, It's V for Vendetta. (laughs) V for Vendetta for me, um, it was my first ever graphic novel, um, V for Vendetta. Um, And I don't read a lot of graphic novels, truth be told, so that you know this is something i go back to quite a lot i really really enjoy it it's got the love of my life and future wife natalie portman <laughs> in it um who i think might be the reason why why women with shaved heads do something for me maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no um in all seriousness i just really enjoyed this film it was something like unusual that i'd never that i, I thought had a really engaging plot I, I really liked the idea of um someone that inspired uh, a country or to not um be afraid of uh, oppression and, and a fascist regime and i think it's done in a really um it's stylized really really well mm-hmm. it's story about um trial by fire for for v and the way that now as a country doesn't seem too far off <laughs> in a way like it, it it probably means more now than it did when the film was released um i don't know what you guys how you guys feel about v for vendetta it's not it's not probably apart from anonymous and what that has brought to the mask of v for vendetta i don't think it's got nearly the fanfare as a film that it deserves um i think that obviously uh, anonymous have kind of took over that mask and what that stands for in a, in a bit of a different way but um you know hugo weaving as his dialogue in the film, I think he's put, he's done excellently. I think the way that he comes across as this really theatrical um, character is really, really excellent. John Hurt as well um, is, is fantastic. And it's Stephen Fry in, in what is a pretty short amount of time really generates um, some feelings of sympathy towards him as a character. And again, I think it taps into something that isn't a million miles away for us as a society if it went the wrong way. And I think that's what I enjoy about it is it, it, maybe it's actually a glimpse into the future and what, I mean, who doesn't like a, a story about someone that rises up and, and beats an oppressive regime? Do you know what I mean? Um, it, I just really adore the film. Really love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's, carry on. Yes, no, that's fair. You've got to say as well that this was the, the uh, Hugo Weaving Renaissance era. Mm-hmm. But he was in, a, you know, from the, the Matrix, Lord of the Rings. And then this, it was straight after, and mm. it was this. That was the reason I watched this film because he was in it. Mm. And the only thing I'd seen him 
in before the Matrix was Priscilla, which is obviously very different. <laughs> very. <laughs> and when you said about the, how theatrical he is, I couldn't help but get that kind of image out of my head, mm-hmm. which is a bit unfortunate. But yeah, everything you said, it's a, it was it's a, again another one that surprised me. So I don't, I don't think it would be as deep as it was. No, you're absolutely right. You know, on on the face of it, for you know, if you was to watch it and, and you're half watching it, for example, you could be forgiven into thinking it's just an action film, like without a lot of real heart to it. But there we go. Knowing the work of Alan Miller, uh, Alan Moore, sorry, the, the the writer of the original graphic novel, everything is that deep. It's always. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just look at things at a surface level. He doesn't even look at things at a deep level. He looks beyond that. Everything is down to like the most meticulous, what most people would assume to be insignificant levels. And it's just incredible. So he wrote the Watchmen comic books as well as V for Vendetta. And then I've seen interviews with him where he talks about, oh, what if we did a comic book that was set on a world, but the gravity, rather than being one point, oh, yeah, 1.0. It was 1.4. Would it change the way of the animals? That's the kind of level he's thinking on when he writes these things. So he does, he thinks, beyond the norm. And I think it really shows when the Wachowskis wrote the script for this film. And it did. It just it elevated what was already an incredible piece of work. I just find it really sad that Alan Moore won't even give it the time of day. That he won't a, watch anything. He's a bit of a bell in the way. This is every is. single he every is. interview I've ever seen with him. I've always come away thinking, "You need a slap on the face." You, mm. there's, there's just he's someone who believes his own self importance way too much. Yeah, yeah. So he basically thinks that comic books ended when he finished working with DC Comics. After then, nothing's been written in America that's worth anything. He's a very very difficult man to like, but his work just speaks for itself it's incredible and he's an incredible person you just want to say just give it a chance you will fucking love it because it's brilliant and even his daughter has said that that she wishes she could just turn him around but yeah v for vendetta one hell of a film with some incredible performances yeah absolutely i mean we've not even talked about um and maybe this is a future episode because there's definitely uh, there's definitely option there um, for for TV shows based on comic books. There's so many that I wanted to talk about, but it just didn't it didn't fit yeah. the topic. Um, so, you know, once you listen to this, guys, give us your feedback on it. If that's something that you want to hear, let us know and we'll we'll get it out for you. Yeah, I really enjoyed this actually. Just talking about our top fives, it's been great fun. Something a little bit different to what we normally do, but this is more of a pub chat, I think, for us. But yeah, really absolutely. Maybe we could do this every every five episode, five question cast or so, if people want that kind of thing. Yeah, let yeah. us know what kind of top five you want. That that's something absolutely. What what I will do, I want to read out what um, Tommy interacted with us for the questions. I want to read out his top five, and just want your thoughts on it if you don't if you don't mind, just to wrap the show up. Um, so I asked him exactly the same question because I want people who are listening to this, I want them to do the same. I want I want them to send us their top five as well so this isn't going to be in by no means in in any order here so dark knight appeared there so maybe this is in in a top in a top order dark knight x-men last stand scott pilgrim what uh, x-men last stand 
Hey, the... hey, I'm just reading out. I'm just reading <laughs> out the list, buddy. That's the worst one of the first three. Hey, letting Mary's <laughs> rebuttal. Um, Scott Pilgrim, uh, Into the Spider Verse, and yes. Thor Ragnarok. Um. I can't believe he questioned me liking the, the Last <laughs> Jedi when the Last Stand is in there, but the other th- other four excellent Into the Spider Verse. I left that out of my honorable mentions because I had a feeling Stu might pick it as his number one. I watched it again the weekend, obviously because Nick Cage is in it. One hell of a film, great storyline, great voice acting, and some of the best animation I have seen in the last twenty odd years. It is incredible. Yeah, it was. It really was. It was in my. It was in my top five up until this morning. <laughs> for that, for that, re- everything you said, and when we was talking about it on Saturday night as well, um, inside baseball there, um, <laughs> that it is just a wonderful, wonderful film. And I've I remember watching it by because the um, Bumblebee screening was broken, so we had to go and watch something else. And Spider Verse was just about to start, so we watched it and. I've seen it more. I must have seen it about five or six times already in the last year or so. It's just, it's something about. I don't even know what that style's called. It's just, no, it's it's, it's, it's on sp- its own. Yeah, it's Spider Verse style. That's what it is. Yeah, I'd said to you, I'd love to see them do other comic book style or other comic book properties in a different style. So still use that that Spider Verse style, but maybe on a Captain America. So they make it look a little bit sepia tinted and I think there's proper legs with that style and they could do absolutely anything they wanted. So unique and just beautiful. Well, even the, the Venom films. I mean, Venom Venom was all right as well. Venom was mm. better than I thought it would be. Yeah. There's nowhere near this, anywhere near this list. But that's something that they could do like that. It's Sony anyway, so there's nothing saying they can't. But that for a sequel to Venom in that style, that would make more sense. Yeah. It could be the future of Sony's Spider-Verse, maybe. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a great list, though. Really, thank you very much for that, Tom. Really appreciate it. And as Matt said, please send us your top fives. And if you'd like us to do another top five down the line, just send us send us what you want our top five. It can be as specific or as generic as you want. I'm sure we'll find a way to uh, twist it to our own ends anyway. <laughs> And get the top just so I can talk about hot fuzz again more than anything, I suppose. <laughs> I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> so that's us done for another week. And thank you very much for joining us on this question cast special. So for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, goodbye. Be excellent to each other. Oh, you fuck, you stole it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Thank you, easy guys. Watch the crow. And from me. Stu's an arsehole. See you (laughs) later. (laughs) It's more like surfing than skating. I wish the rain would stop just once. Can't rain all the time.